It's a joy to be with you. A number of years ago, I worked in a ministry where I had the chance to help somebody through a struggle. And at the end of uh, our time, this person very kindly sent me a greeting card, and it contained a quotation from the author F. Scott Fitzgerald, who, uh, a quotation I never read before. This is what it says. You are the finest, loveliest, tenderest, and most beautiful person I have ever known. But even that is an understatement. I was so moved by that card until I discovered it sold in a pack of 25. (laughs) But if you think about it, our hearts are restless for just that kind of love. Our hearts are made for it. They're hardwired for it. Even more, we languish if we lack that kind of love in our life. All of us know deep down in our hearts that the love that we're waiting for has to consist of two non-negotiable things. First of all, it has to be a love that is an indestructible love. It has to be greater even than our failures. And secondly, it has to be a love that keeps saying to us, it is necessary that you exist. It is a significant thing that during the the church's liturgical year, the church doesn't observe a feast in honor of the sacred mind of Jesus to venerate Christ's consummate wisdom or the sacred spleen of Jesus to honor Christ's incomparable courage or, or anything else like that. But the church does celebrate the feast of the sacred heart of Jesus. And that is fitting and proper because there's something singular about the sacred heart of Jesus. We read in the Directory on Popular Piety and Liturgy, the sacred heart denotes the entire mystery of Christ, the totality of his being and his person considered in its most intimate essential. And this makes perfect sense when we reflect on our own experience of being human, who we are has everything to do with our heart. The Catechism of the Catholic Church describes the heart as our hidden center where we live, a place deeper than our psychic drives that only the Spirit of God can fathom and know fully. Not only that, but in a certain respect, we can even say that the human heart is infallible. It knows exactly what it needs in order to be satisfied and fulfilled. I remember hearing an example by Father Julian Caron, who's the president of Community and Liberation, talking about this. He said, your heart is sort of like your shoe size in this respect. So you need a new pair of shoes. So you go to the shoe store and you look and, oh, there's a great pair. You love the style. You love the color. They're even on sale. Look at the 20% off. So you say, yeah. I'm going to buy them. There's just one factor that you don't take into consideration, and that's the fact that they are a half a size too small. You can buy them, but you're going to have pain, and you're probably going to walk funny. Well, the the heart is like this. It knows what fits it. It knows what is adequate to fulfill it. And our heart is made for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ begs for our heart in the very way that the human heart has been designed. 
It will not settle for anything less than what is truly and totally satisfying. That is, for the infinite. That is, for Jesus himself. That's why the great spiritual writer, Monsignor Hugh Benson, who died in 1914, makes the observation that the supreme longing of the sacred heart of Jesus is that he should be admitted into the inner secret chamber of the soul where the human being is most himself and therefore most utterly alone. Jesus begs for our hearts by begging to be let into our hearts. Because even if one's heart is not sick, it can still be broken. The mystery of the Sacred Heart of Jesus is the divine assurance that Jesus Christ is paying attention to our chief misery. And what is that? It's loneliness. The Sacred Heart is its antidote. Cardinal Ratzinger once wrote, In what does the human being's wretchedness actually consist? We can say that the root of the human being's wretchedness is, is loneliness, is the absence of love, is the fact that my existence is not embraced by a love that makes it necessary. Even before the coronavirus pandemic, loneliness was an affliction that affected countless people, especially young people. But now, since COVID, loneliness has become a devastating pandemic within a pandemic. Scientific studies show that loneliness takes an actual physical toll on the lonely. One study indicates that social isolation has a negative impact on our health that is comparable to the effect of high blood pressure, lack of exercise, obesity, and smoking. Loneliness is a factor affecting stress hormones, immune function, and cardiovascular function. Loneliness makes us sick. Even more, loneliness can actually accelerate the aging process and can cause a premature death. Some researchers note that when people are asked to list the pleasures that contribute most to happiness, the overwhelming majority name love, intimacy, social affiliation, and place them above things like wealth, fame, and even physical health. And don't think it's the physical experience of solitude, of being alone on our own, that is the culprit. <clears throat> Rather, it's the chronic feelings of loneliness that do us in. Loneliness can be measured a group of researchers invented an assessment tool that asks a number of questions. Among those questions are these. How often do you feel that you lack companionship? How often do you feel that there is no one that you can turn to? How often do you feel that you are no longer close to anyone? How often do you feel that your interests and ideas are not shared by those around you? How often do you feel that your relationships with others are not meaningful. How often do you feel that no one knows you well? How often do you feel that people are around you but not with you? So when I reflect on my experience about these questions, they say, how often? Very often. Way too often. And it's a big problem. 
Maybe the worst kind of loneliness is the loneliness that comes when we're surrounded by other people. There can be loneliness even within a marriage. Loneliness when we're out doing the funnest thing with our friends. Pope Francis says, Our infinite sadness can only be cured by an infinite love. And that is the gift of the Sacred Heart. Pope St. John Paul II, you know, he was, a, he was a playwright. And in one of his plays, a character says this, The Son of God is the living denial of all loneliness. If I knew how to immerse myself in him, if I knew how to implant myself in him, I would find in myself the love that fills him. And thanks to the sacred heart of Jesus, we do know how to immerse ourselves in the Son of God and to find ourself, the, in ourselves the love that fills him. As painful as it is, ironically, loneliness actually serves a positive purpose in divine providence. And this is pointed out by servant of God, Catherine de Hewick Doherty, the founder of Madonna House in Canada. She says, I like to think of loneliness as if it is a person with a particular job to do. And what is that? Loneliness brings us closer to Christ. In our loneliness, we are moved to beg for Jesus' heart. And we do so by way of devotion to the Sacred Heart. Devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is nothing else but an an exercise of ardent love. The great champions of the Sacred Heart, especially St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, St. Claude de la La Colombier, her confessor, and Jesuit Father John Crozet, St. Margaret Mary's spiritual director, spell out for us what devotion to the Sacred Heart consists in. The particular object of devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is the immense love of the Son of God, which moved him to deliver himself up to death for us and to give himself entirely to us in the Eucharist. St. Claude Le Colombier says that the virtues we honor in the Sacred Heart are ardent love for the Father, Jesus' profound compassion for our miseries, and also his immense love for us in spite of all we are. The effects of the devotion are without equal. Our Lord reveals to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque that the devotion to the Sacred Heart is a devotion most proper to obtain victory over the strongest passions, to establish union and peace in the most divided families, to get rid of the most long-standing imperfections. And I don't know about you, but I want those long-standing imperfections gotten rid of. The spiritual masters tell us that devotion to the Sacred Heart has something so strong and so tender about it that it obtains everything from God. Jesuit Father Paul the Jaeger writes, Jesus has made a promise to all those who have dedicated themselves to offer love in return for love of his Sacred Heart of those special graces that alone can make our holiness possible despite the wrath of Satan and the subtle devices of our own egoism. And that's the thing that so often just gets in the way. But what if we feel unworthy and even 
hypocritical because of our sins, because of our lack of faithfulness. Even this does not stand in the way. St. Margaret Mary encourages us, if you're submerged in the waters of infidelity and inconstancy, plunge yourself into the fathomless deep of the sacred heart. Its steady and its stability and steadfastness will teach you to be faithful to Jesus as he has ever been in love for us. Pope Benedict counsels that it's especially our shortcomings and our limitations and our weaknesses that lead us back to the heart of Jesus. He says, God's heart calls to our hearts, inviting us to come out of ourselves, to forsake our human certainties, to trust in him, and by following his example, to make of ourselves a gift of unbounded love. Many years ago, I came across a book that was written by a physician. It's entitled The Heart's Code, and it includes this incredible testimony of a 41-year-old male heart transplant patient after his surgery. And this is what he told the people when he came out of anesthesia. I felt it when I woke up. You know how it feels different after a thunderstorm or heavy rain? That's kind of how it felt. It was like a storm had happened inside of me, or like I had been struck by lightning. There is a new energy in me. I feel like 19 again. I'm sure I got a strong young man's heart, because sometimes I can feel like a roar or surging power within me that I never felt before. I think he was probably a truck driver or something like that, and he was probably killed by a cement truck or something like that. I feel this sense of speed and raw power in me. Now, the eerie thing is that that man had, in fact, received the heart of a 19-year-old woman who was killed as she was driving her car when it was struck by a train. Now, if this kind of transference of life and power is possible through a physical transplant, imagine what is even more possible when we receive a mystical transplant of the sacred heart of Jesus. St. Peter Damien, who lived in the 11th century, way before St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, says, It is in this adorable heart that we find all the weapons necessary for our defense, all the remedies proper for the cure of our evils, all the most powerful aids against the assaults of our enemies, all the sweetest consolations to solace our sufferings, all the purest delights to fill our souls with joy. Are you afflicted? Do your enemies persecute you? Does the remembrance of your past sins trouble you? Do you feel your heart agitated by uneasiness, fear of passion? Yes, St. Peter, I do, I do. So what should I do? He says, go, throw yourself, so to speak, into the arms of Jesus. Enter into his sacred heart. It is a sanctuary, a retreat for holy souls, a place of refuge where our souls are in perfect safety. All the same as St. Therese of Lisieux, doctor of the church, lamented, Jesus finds few hearts who surrender to him without reservation, who understand the real tenderness of his infinite love. 
But it's the sacred heart that enables us to understand the real tenderness of God's love by revealing to us four key truths about the love of God that we really have to meditate on and keep returning to and not forget. And the first is this. Why does God love us? God loves us because he is good, not because we are. This goes against everything that we do in the world. Blessed Julian of Norwich says, Before God made us, he loved us. Bishop Robert Barron loves to say, God loved us into being. You weren't responsible for bringing yourself into being. God wanted you to exist. And his creating us is itself a very proof that he loves us. Because we only make what we like. A few years ago, I was giving a talk at a women's conference, and I, I was talking about this. So I used the example, well, think, think about it. So you come home from work, and you're really hungry, and you're tired, and you have to make dinner. You open the refrigerator, and there in the refrigerator is this, you know, seven-day-old casserole that you didn't like when it, you know, when it first was made. Or this astonishingly delicious lasagna that your grandmother made and dropped off that afternoon for you. So there's your choice. You're looking, you say, so, so you have to make dinner. So what do you make? And one woman from the crowd shouted out, Reservations! (laughs) God loves us because he's good, not because we are. God loves us, secondly, just the way we are. When did Jesus come to St. Paul and call him to himself and raise him to the, the dignity of an apostle at the worst possible moment of his life, when he's completely admired and enmeshed in sin? The paradox is then this St. Paul then goes on to become the greatest authority on love that has ever existed in the world. There's no philosopher, there's no teacher, there's no artist, there's no anybody that has surpassed Paul in expressing love. And I even include Adele. Look what what he says in his great hymn to love in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, love is patient, love is kind. How does he know this? It's because somebody had slipped him an advanced copy of St. Thomas Aquinas' treatise on charity. He was like, no, that's not the reason why. It's because God is patient, and, and God was patient to him. God was kind to him, and it changed him. He says, love is not jealous, it's not pompous, it's not inflated. And God is none of those things. And, and because, as St. Paul says in the letter to the Romans, the love of God has been poured into our hearts, he stops being pompous and jealous and inflated. He says, love is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It's not quick-tempered. It doesn't brood over injury. And why can Paul attest to this? Because he used to be all of those things to the nth degree. Then he changed. He changed. Love changed him. This miracle. He's, he stopped being this terrible person and became someone sort of sweet. Love came and changed Paul when he was the most hateful, the most despicable, contemptible person probably on the planet. As Father Paul de Jaeger says, What delight we should give the heart of Jesus were we to love him, love him in the midst of our desolation with a loving trust. No matter how terrible we think we are, we actually are. Just love him. And the third key truth is this. Only God's love makes us worthy of God's love. We, we, we can't do this on our own. St. Therese of Lisieux says, God doesn't call those who are worthy. He calls those whom he pleases. And then we become worthy. 
St. Gertrude prays, O adorable Father, I offer to your beloved Son the love of his heart will atone to the full for all of my insufficiency. What an awesomely confident prayer that is. And we all can make it. As Pope Francis says, now is the time to say to Jesus, Lord, I've let myself be deceived. In a thousand ways, I've shunned your love. Yet here I am once more to renew my covenant with you. I need you. Save me once again, Lord. Take me once more into your redeeming embrace. And the fourth truth of God's love is this. God loves us as he loves himself. The sacred heart loves us with the love of friendship. Jesus says to us, declares to us, I call you friends. Friendship is every relationship in which the other's need is shared in its ultimate value. The 14th century blessed Simon Fidati of Kasha wrote, A friend is a lighted coal, and if placed beside it, it can rekindle a dead one. That's what Jesus wants to be for us in in his sacred heart. There's a beautiful memoir entitled My Bright Abyss by a man named Christian Wyman, who's a poet, and he's a cancer survivor, and it's through his experience of his illness that he rediscovered his Christian faith. And in that book, he quotes Father Hans Urs von Balthasar, who says this astonishing thing. God stands in our way. He haunts us with a love that runs after us, pulls us out of the pit, casts aside our chains, and places us in the freedom of divine and even now human love. And Christian Wyman comments on this and says, I did not know what love was until I encountered one that kept opening and opening and opening, and until I acknowledged that what that love was opening onto and into was God. And that opening, opening love is the love that we encounter from the open side of the pierced Christ who reveals his heart to us through that wound and haunts and chases us and pulls us out of our pit. The sacred heart is an invitation. Even more, the sacred heart is a provocation to love Jesus just as he loves us. And a surefire way to do that, is, and, and also to fend off the assaults of loneliness, is to form the habit of making what is called an unceasing act of love. The unceasing act of love is a concrete, actual gesture of loving God and of handing ourselves over to him, handing our heart over to him. Why unceasing prayer? Because if we're not actually loving God, we're actually loving something else in his place. We become distracted and obsessed and our anxieties and our plans and our hurts and our fears and our doubts begin to take over and dominate us. But the minute we, and the minute that we give up our unceasing act of love, that's the moment when our life begins to fall apart. When we fail to offer our act of love, we fall back into ourselves, into our inadequate thoughts, our own imperfect understanding of things, 
our compromises and our false idols. When we give up our act of love, then we try to rely on our own faulty strength. That's what that's when concupiscence begins to assert itself and temptations take over. That's when our fears and our anxieties begin to dominate us. And that's when we presume to trust our own reasons and our own preconceptions and our own feelings instead of confiding in the truth who is Jesus. But God cannot give himself to us unless we use our freedom to want him, to be open to receiving him. The act of love takes us out of ourselves and unites us to the beloved, to Jesus. Making an act of love is the easiest thing in the world. We can make an unceasing act of love either silently in our heart or quietly with our lips. And it can take many forms. We can simply pray, Jesus, I love you, save souls. Or the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or simply to repeat reverently the holy name of Jesus. And we can do this even when we don't feel like we love God. As St. Therese of Lisieux again teaches us, do not be afraid to tell Jesus that you love him, even if you don't feel that you love him. That is the way to force him to aid you. St. Francis de Sales gives us wise counsel. Perform fervent external actions, even though you may perform them without relish, such as embracing the crucifix. Sometimes you may arouse your heart by some position or act action of exterior devotion. Or the 19th century Abbe Berlieu says, Jesus has promised that he will cure and save all those who invoke with confidence his sacred heart. Yes, even lukewarm souls. He will cast down upon you a spark of love and you will be restored to fervor and life. Say often to your merciful Savior, O Jesus, he whom you love is sick. Come and heal him, and Jesus will give back to you the strength and fervor of your early years. Take courage, then, and throw yourself into this divine heart. Jesus wants us to love him in the realization that it is with his love that we are loving him, not our own. And that's why we can do it, no matter how we feel or what our predicament is. As the evangelist and of culture and servant of God, Madeline Delbrell says, God has not created us for human loving, but for the eternal, awesome love with with which he loves everything that he has ever created. If you forget love, she says, you make yourself absurd. If you betray love, she says, you become monstrous. Love is our life becoming eternal life. Our unceasing act of love is our way of saying to Jesus in the words of Pope St. John the 23rd, I have looked into your eyes with my eyes. I have put my heart near your heart. Jesus begs for our heart and we beg for the heart of Jesus. Let's renew our devotion to this awesome mystery praying O sacred heart of Jesus, I love you and I want to love you more. I want to love you the way that you love me. By the grace of your sacred heart, help me to be true to my heart. For the heart is the dwelling place where I live. 
Let me live in your love. Please always remain close to me, especially in my loneliness. The heart is my hidden center, the place to which I withdraw. When I'm anxious or doubtful or beset with sorrow, let me know the comfort of your presence. The heart is the place of decision, the place of truth, where we choose life or death. Give me the grace always to live in the truth, especially when upset by confusion or lost in delusion. Give me the courage to stop telling myself lies that I really do not believe in. The heart is the place of encounter, the place of covenant. Please allow nothing but you and my relationship with you to be the measure of my life. Open my heart to receive your love. Embolden my heart to trust you always. Enlarge my heart and make me generous in charity towards all those I meet, especially the poor, the lonely, and all those in need, with the matchless, transforming attention found only in your sacred heart. And we'll give the last word to one of the newest doctors of the church, St. Gregory of Narek. In this, his beautiful confession of love, he writes, It is not for his gifts that I continue in my prayers, but because he is true life. It is not so much by hope as by bonds of love that I am drawn. It is not for gifts, but for the giver that I ever yearn. It is not for joyous passions that I yearn, but it is because of a desire for him who is preparing them that my heart bursts out in tears. It is not rest that I seek, but it is the face of him who offers rest that I seek in prayer. It is not for the nuptial banquet, but it is for the bridegroom that I long. And I have that beautiful confession for you as a gift on a holy card, which you can pick up at my book table. God bless you.